Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. We're talking Astros baseball, what has transpired and what is to come. I'm Steve Schaefer with Astros beat writer Chandler Rome. And Chandler, I guess we should start with uh, the world title, the Astros second in six years. And as we look back at this team and a fantastic World Series with the Philadelphia Phillies, very entertaining. What, what are some of your takeaways from that series and of this team? Yeah, I think we've seen it in the past, uh, especially with this franchise. You know, you look back to 2019, and that was probably on paper the best team in Astros history, and they didn't come away with a World Series title. And it goes to say that the best team doesn't always win the World Series. Uh, you can go to L.A. right now, and they would say the same thing. The Dodgers finished the season, regular season with 111 wins and then lost in the in LDS to the Padres. It's very rare that the best team wins – the World Series, and I, but I think this year the best team won the World Series. I, I think from beginning to end, the Astros were the best team in baseball. Uh, they were the hardest team to score runs on. Uh, just they're, They did it a different way than maybe some of these other Astros teams of the past have done it. Their lineup was not uh, – their lineup was good. It was not very deep. It was not as menacing as other lineups they've had, but, man, could they pitch. That They had – they put together – the greatest pitching staff in Astros history, one of the greatest pitching staffs in baseball history. Um, it, it, it was truly nine or 10 guys deep. Um, they got to the playoffs and they didn't even need Ryan Stanek, the guy that won, the, the guy that finished the regular season with the lowest ERA by a reliever in Astros history. They didn't even need him. They didn't need Jose Arquiti. They didn't need Luis Garcia, two guys that were just kind of on the roster for show. Um, they were able to survive Justin Verlander being very un-Justin Verlander-like in the playoffs. They were able to survive Lance McCullers having a couple rough outings because they just had so much depth. And it felt like whenever this team got a lead, whether it was one run or two runs, the other team just wasn't coming back. Um, this is one of the better bullpens the Astros have ever had. Um, you felt so secure when this team got a lead that it was pretty unbelievable. And, you know, this was a run prevention team, first and foremost. They were really hard to score runs against. And you saw it in the World Series. You know, they the Phillies hit five home runs in game three, took a two-to-one series lead, and then scored four runs in the next uh, three games because the Astros just stifled them. And that's just how they've won all season. And when it got to game six and when Jordan Alvarez hit that ball 450 feet over the batter's eye in center field and they took a two-run lead, you just knew they weren't going to give it up because that's just how this team had played all season. And just a remarkable effort from them, a remarkable team. Um, 
I started this answer by saying the 2019 Astros are probably the best baseball team I think I've ever seen. But it's hard to argue that the 2022 Astros aren't the best team in franchise history, just given that they did finish the job. They won the World Series title, um, really dominated the postseason. They went 11 and 2. Um, and, you know, I think only one of those games did they not have a shot to win. You'd probably say the game three of the World Series when Lance McCullers got lit up. You know, that other loss that they had, they had a five-run lead and Justin Verlander was on the mound. So they were just an eyelash away from going through this thing uh, with one loss in the postseason. It was just a remarkable run. And certainly there was no doubt who the best team in baseball was this year. For once, they were rewarded with the World Series title. Yeah, you think about 19, you've got one of, obviously, Verlander is kind of a repeat as your ace. Then you could compare Garrett Cole, probably say he was better that year than Framber Valdez, but then the depth of the bullpen, I just think this is the best bullpen I've ever seen, uh, top to bottom. Uh, Maybe some rotations, I mean, you can look at those Braves rotations in the 90s or whatever, but just, uh, it's, it's just astounding how good that bullpen was. I was thinking about moments, you mentioned Alvarez's homer, but game five was just so full of it was such a tense game because you knew this is the turning point. The series is going to turn on this game. And if the Astros lose that game, they're capable of winning two more at home. But uh, I'll think about McCormick's catch. And there are two things that I really think about from that game. One, Ryan Presley coming in first and third, one out in the eighth with the 3-2 lead. Dusty Baker calling on him to get five outs. And him striking out Brandon Marsh to get that second out without a fly ball or anything to get that run home. Then he retiles Schwarber on that bullet that Trey Mancini caught. I like how Verlander said everything off Schwarber's bat seems to be 110 miles an hour. Um, and then that last matchup, what might have been, and we'll get into Justin uh, more in this podcast, but what might have been the last batter he faces is an Astro, that 10-pitch at bat with Nick Castellanos, where Verlander truly emptied the tank, again, preserving what at the time was a one-run lead. Just so many moments from that series. And then we even saw a no-hitter. I mean, just so many great moments. Yeah, we kind of forgot about Christian Javier, who was just like the turned in the, the most unhittable pitcher in the world in the playoffs. And I mean, that, that just speaks to the depth of this team that he started game four. Um, he probably should have started game two or game one. And he would have started game two or game one for just about any other team, given how well he had pitched. But that's just a luxury that the Astros had. They had incredible depth. But yeah, game five, that sort of epitomized who this Astros team was. Um, they Didn't do a ton offensively, but they got just enough. They manufactured a couple of runs. They put the ball in play. They didn't strike out. And you know what? They they can play defense behind their pitching staff. You know, we talk about when we talk about run prevention, we all that always seems pitching, pitching, pitching. But defense is part of run prevention, too. And Chaz McCormick, a guy that was a natural corner outfielder that they had hesitated to play in center all year, makes the catch of his life in his backyard. He's from Westchester, Pennsylvania, grew up a Phillies fan, grew up watching the Phillies, makes a catch of his life. And then Trey Mancini off the bench, probably that's probably a bigger defensive play, honestly, than Chaz's ball, because if that ball gets by, that's at least a tie game, because there's runners on the corners at that point. If that ball gets by Mancini, that's at least a tie game. Maybe, I don't, I can't remember who was on first at that point, but at that point, the Phillies need every run they can get. They may, they may wave that guy going from first base, especially when he's running with two outs. So um, just uh, that of uh, game five, if anything, that epitomized just kind of who this team was. They were so comfortable in close games. They were so comfortable in clutch situations because, and that starts with having such faith in your bullpen. And that starts with having such faith in your pitching staff that they're going to come in and they're not going to mess it up. They're not going to, you know, the one thing this Astros pitching staff didn't do, they didn't walk guys. 
Um, there were not a lot of free bases. They were like, if they were going to get beat, they were going to get beat with hits. They kept the ball in the ballpark too. Their, their rotation, I mean, game three, notwithstanding, they kept the ball in the ballpark for the majority of this season. So it took for opponents to score against them. It took a string of three, four, or five hits in a row to manufacture runs, and that's just that just was not going to happen against this staff. And game five just kind of epitomized that. Well, as we look. Uh... Ahead, it's the interesting thing now that as we are a couple of weeks out of the World Series, and I'm trying to think how I would pose this question to you, but I guess I'll ask it this way. How can a team, or how are we at a situation where a team that just won the World Series is at present without a general manager? It's almost unprecedented. Uh, this has not happened since uh, in 75 years. In 1947, uh, Larry McPhail who was the general manager of the New York Yankees. They won the World Series. He got drunk, went in the clubhouse, and punched a couple people and said some expletives and then resigned that day. And that's the last time that a World Series winning general manager uh, left the team or was dismissed um, immediately after the the offseason after the World Series. And James Click joined that company. Um, This go-around, he did not get drunk. He did not punch anyone. He did not do anything... uh, unkempt he just had a difference of opinion and a difference of philosophy with jim crane the owner and i think if anything has manifested itself in the weeks since the world series is that jim crane wields a lot of power and and, and that's ob- obviously i mean he owns the team he, he can wield as much power as he wants but he wields a lot of decision making power he got very involved in baseball operations this year to the point where he was nixing trades at the trade deadline to the point where uh, he and James Click just couldn't coexist, and the owner's going to win that battle 10 times out of 10. He offered James Click a one-year contract extension that matched Dusty Baker's one-year extension. James Click, probably rightly so, thought he deserved a longer extension for winning the World Series and having a 106-win regular season and a three-year tenure that included three ALCS appearances and two pennants. Um, he did not accept the Astros one-year extension offer and the two sides parted ways so at present the astros are being basically run by gm by committee they have three assistant gms and charles cook bill Furcus, and andrew ball they're running the day-to-day operations they're doing kind of the minute stuff pushing paper things like that but make no mistake jim crane is running the show jim crane is making a lot of the big baseball decisions he negotiated rafael montero's three-year, $34.5 million contract that left a lot of people in the industry asking why Rafael Montero got $34.5 million of guaranteed money. That was a, in in the eyes of a lot of people in the industry, that was an overpay. And that was a Jim Crane decision. Um, You know, I think there's going to, I'm not saying there's going to be overpay, more overpays coming, but there's going to be a lot more Jim Crane driven baseball decisions going forward. And there were some under James Click as well, the, the Justin Berlander contract, uh, Last season was almost solely Jim Crane. Uh, Justin Verlander has said that. Um, there were some other decisions that Jim Crane was very influential in that James Click just kind of handled the marginal stuff. So it's certainly a fascinating way to run things. Um, you can't argue with the on-field results. You can't argue. I mean, they won a World Series, and they're set up to be the favorites in the American League next year as well with what they have coming back. So you can't argue with kind of what's been set up, but it does invite wonder kind of, how long can this infrastructure last um, if there is such 
I don't know if chaos is the right word or if it's just kind of an unsettlement at the top that where, um, you know, they, they, they don't really know which direction they want to go in. The only direction that they know they want to go in is toward Jim Crane. We'll talk about Justin Burling. Might as well get into him right now a little bit. So he wins the Cy Young Award and it was clear by some of his comments afterward. And you and I talked about this a little bit. I mean, here's a guy who, who one got $66 million for two years to make one start, but he was absolutely a bargain in 2022, $25 million. He wins a Cy Young Award. I love your coverage on the game five win he got and what happened in the locker room, his teammates treating him like a rookie. You can tell that meant a lot to him. And it's like, but apparently it doesn't mean enough to hold any sway on what he's going to do in the future. And he's not writing Houston off, but so who is negotiating with him during this time now? Is it Crane? Is it the other three guys? And how quickly does the process play out for Justin Verlander? It's, that's all Jim Crane. And that would have been the situation even if James Click got a 10-year extension uh, because Jim Crane and Justin Verlander are very close. Uh, Jim Crane enjoys telling people that he employs Justin Verlander. Uh, Justin Verlander enjoys his relationship with Jim Crane. The two guys are very close. So this would have been a this, no matter who, what the GM situation was, Jim Crane was always going to take the lead in this situation. Um, from talking to people that have talked to Jim Crane, it does not. It does sound like he has instituted some limits. Uh, it sounds like he is pretty firm on right now something in the framework of two years for sixty million dollars, two years for seventy million dollars, which would be thirty million or thirty-five million dollar average annual value under those constructions. Jim Crane, however, did tell MLB.com this week that Justin Verlander is seeking something similar to Max Scherzer's free agent contract that he got with the Mets last year, which was three years, $130 million, a $43.5 million average annual value. Max Scherzer signed that deal at age 37. Verlander is going to turn 40 in February. I think I think the world of Justin Verlander. I think he has defied age, defied convention, defied physics, science, everything. Like he is a unicorn. He is an animal. It would be hard for me to justify giving him three guaranteed years. Um, will some team do it? I think there's there could be a team or two desperate enough to do it. Uh, I think there are teams with deeper pockets. I think there are teams that more desperately need starting pitching. Because you have to remember, too, if the Astros let Justin Verlander walk, they still have returning Framber Valdez, who finished fifth in Cy Young voting, Lance McCullers Jr., who has finished top five in Cy Young voting, Christian Javier, who we just talked about, turned into the most unhittable pitcher in the world, Luis Garcia, Jose Arquiti, and Hunter Brown. That's a six-man starting rotation that I think if they did nothing with it, they'd feel very comfortable going into the regular season with that. So it sounds odd to say, but the Astros don't really need Justin Verlander. They take him back. Don't worry. Like they would make room for him if, if he wants to come back, but they don't need to act with such desperation to get him. There are other teams out there like, you know, the Dodgers just lost Tyler Anderson. He signed the first, he signed a three-year deal with the angels. They more probably desperately need a, a, a number one, an ace. Uh, the Mets may lose Jacob deGrom. To free, who is also a free agent this year. If he departs, do they, Steve Cohen, their owner, loves to spend money. He's the richest owner in North American sports. Does he go with a Scherzer-type deal that he's already given out? He's already gave out the Scherzer deal to Scherzer last year. Does he give that to Verlander? The Yankees, it's not sitting well with many in New York that the Yankees looked completely outclassed in the ALCS, that they got swept away. They've got Aaron Judge 
top of mind free agency wise. So maybe Verlander is like it in the top of their list of concerns, but Justin Verlander was he got offered by them last year, was very close to signing with them last year as well. The Blue Jays, they were in pretty deep negotiations with him last year before he signed with the Astros too. They could use another big guy atop the rotation to maybe get over the hump a little bit. So all, what, I, what I'm saying this to mean is like there are going to be teams that are going to be desperate for his services. And desperation will breed maybe some overspending, will maybe push people to go that third year or to up the average annual value or things like that. So that's all to say, as far as I know now, Jim Crane is going to stick to that parameter, two for 60, two for 70. And that's not to say he won't move off of it. That's not to say if he if something happens, he would move off of it. But as of now, that's kind of where they are. And Justin Verlander acknowledged yesterday that he's got a lot of suitors and a lot of people are interested in him. And he didn't rule the Astros out, but he did not sound like a guy that's gonna gonna run back to Minute Maid Park and and put on the Astros jersey for the love of the orange and blue. Uh, this is a business. Baseball is a business at the end of the day. And Justin Verlander, I know he's made a ton of money in his career. I know, you know, he's got a very wealthy wife as well. That's that Kate Upton's done very well for herself. You know, they're not hurting for money, but these guys, of course, they they what they look for maybe more than money, I think, is like stability and security. Like if because all baseball contracts are guaranteed, if you're gonna get a three-year deal, you're gonna take a three-year deal over a two-year deal. If you can, if you're going to get a two-year deal somewhere, you can take a two-year deal over a one-year deal because you want that security. You want that security blanket in case something like what happened in 2020 happens and Justin Verlander gets hurt, can't pitch. He's still got two years and sixty-six million dollars to fall back on. That's just kind of that's kind of the dance you do when you enter into these contracts. So um, it's it's I I wouldn't put it. I would never rule. As long as Jim Crane's involved, never rule anything out with Justin Verlander. I'll put it to you that way. He, they are, the Astros are always going to be a factor as long as Jim Crane's involved with Justin Verlander. But I just think there are other teams that will be more aggressive and are more desperate for his services in the Astros. Yeah, I think you put it well. If you go into next year without Justin Verlander, I think the Astros probably still have maybe the best rotation in baseball when you... Think about that. if Christian Javier continues to do what he did and, he, and for the last month and a half of the season, he was the best starting pitcher they had. And that's no slight to Verlander or Framber Valdez. It's just that Gar, uh, Javier allowed like eight hits in his last 34 and two thirds innings. I mean, just it's almost preposterous. Uh, then you've got Luis Garcia, who was in the bullpen uh, in the playoffs, but he was a runner, the runner up for rookie of the year last year. The up and coming Hunter Brown. Lance McCullers Jr., as you talked about, it's just such a position of strength. I wonder if Crane thinks about this, too, uh, last year. Everybody wanted him to pay Carlos Correa. He didn't pay Carlos Correa. And look how that worked out. <laughs> they get a guy who's MVP of the championship series and the World Series, and Crane might think, yeah, I think this team is probably going to – you talked about it, too. It surprises me that he gave Montero the money he did because that bullpen really didn't need him to still be – exceptionally deep no and like let's face it too Rafael Montero didn't have a he, he pitched fine in the postseason but he had some there was some he was probably the the one reliever in the postseason that when he came in I think Astros fans hearts skipped a beat a little bit they were they were a little nervous he had them on edge he, he allowed some base runners didn't look great in the playoffs but I mean look he had been really good for them he had been really good for them all year but I think where, where a lot of people in the industry were kind of wide-eyed at the money he got was 
you know, this was his first good year. Like he's had Tommy John surgery, so he hasn't. Um, so he had like a kind of a truncated career to this point, but he's got a lifetime 4.6 ERA and a lifetime 1.5 whip. And that's with being good this year. This is his first, this was really his first sustained success at the big league level. And he parlayed it into $34.5 million. And, you know, reading what Jim Crane told MLB.com this week, um, it, it just sounded like, honestly, he wanted to run it back. He just said, oh, our bullpen was really good. Why not bring everybody back? And that there can be some danger in that. And I think as we maybe explore what they're going to do at first base, I, I think there's some danger in that too. Like it, it's pretty clear that everyone loves Yuli Gurriel, that Yuli Gurriel has been a big part, and a big cornerstone of what this golden era has been. But if, if that's Jim Crane's thought to just kind of run it back and get all the guys, get the old group back together, then, you know, I, I wonder how sustainable that is because, you know, they, they've got a big question to answer at first base. And I don't know if Yuli Gurriel is the guy to answer. Yeah. And maybe they figure like Gurriel is a fallback. And if, if nothing else pans out, we can pay him relatively inexpensively. I look at Montero. I think if you wind up getting outbid on Verlander, that's thirty four point five million dollars. You could have just thrown at him extra if you wanted to. Um and the other thing about Verlander, I guess, if you do re-sign him, now you've got trade ships perhaps to address the first base situation. You could trade Jose Arquiti. You could trade Luis Garcia if you had to because you'd have Verlander. But it's an interesting deal. We, we figure they had some interest in Anthony Rizzo, it seemed, and the Yankees maybe just cut them off at the pass and went ahead and re-signed Rizzo. Uh, winter meetings are coming up. And again, I, I presume the three guys you talked about are the ones who are going to be there for the Astros. But do we look for any activity on the first base front? soon or do they sit back and wait a little bit i don't know because i don't know who's doing what in the front office like i don't know who is driving these decisions like you just mentioned it like there's been talk i've talked to people that are in the front office that are just kind of around the astros that they just think that they're going to roll this way through the winter meetings through january maybe like is jim crane going to go to the winter meetings and like start negotiating with agents like you mentioned like they have trade like if they do resign verlander like they'd have trade chips like Who's going to be making trades? Like, is is Jim Crane going to be calling other GMs to make trades? Like, I I, I really don't know how the this hierarchy is working. And you know, it's pretty clear that Crane has the ultimate authority and is wielding the ultimate power. But you know, the winter meetings are usually more active than the GM meetings. Obviously, the GM meetings are just there to kind of build relationships and networking, um, and kind of build the framework for what goes on at the winter meetings. Uh, you mentioned Anthony Rizzo. He would have addressed a lot of what this team needs this offseason. They need a left-handed bat pretty badly. They got very right-handed toward the end of the year. Um, they had a string, I believe. Uh, they're, they're, the, the lineups they were running out there toward the end uh, after Kyle Tucker were a string of six straight right-handed hitters. And they need some balance. They had no lefty off their bench to bring in. Um, they need some form of balance, whether that's a switch hitter, whether that's a left-handed hitter, and they need a first baseman. And Anthony Rizzo is all of that. And Anthony Rizzo fits their offensive profile well, too. He doesn't strike out. He puts the ball in play. He's a good at bat. He's a patient at bat. He's He can hit some home runs. He hit 30 home runs this year. Um, is a three-time gold glover at first base, so he can pick it there. Um, he would have kind of fit exactly what they needed perfectly. But obviously, you know, he wanted to go back to New York and New York gave him a deal pretty quickly. And that, that kind of cut the Astros off. So kind of where do they go from there? You know, Jose Abreu is a pretty sexy name. that has been thrown out there. He's a right-handed hitter, but again, he, he's the same sort of offensive profile. 
you know, doesn't strike out a ton, hits the ball very hard. Uh, he won an MVP once upon a time. He's a very good player. So um, he's a little bit older, so maybe you could get on a shorter-term deal with him. You know, Josh Bell's out there as a switch hitter. He would help the balance, but he really did not play well after being traded to San Diego, really had a terrible second half after being traded in the Juan Soto deal. Uh, Brandon Belt's out there, left-handed hitter, that can maybe play some first base. But um, I, I keep going back to, you know, reading what Jim Crane said the other week and the whole run-it-back mentality, and it makes me wonder, are they just going to re-sign Yuli Gurriel, uh, who – performed very well in the postseason, like turned around everything, was their best hitter in the postseason before hurting his knee in game five of the World Series. Uh, but everything before that was not good. Uh, he looked every bit of 39 years old, just kind of looked like the bat had slowed down a little bit, wasn't getting any sort of results, had a terrible, his worst offensive season of his major league career. So, um, you know, I won, they, they can upgrade there. They can get younger there. And, and look, there's still probably a place for Gurriel on this team, even if they go find a full-time younger first baseman. You know, they could bring him back as a platoon guy, as a timeshare guy. He could be a bench guy, you know, come in, provide some versatility and some depth. But I wonder if his days as an everyday player are, are dwindling. And, uh, you know, maybe if the Astros strike out on on all those guys that we just talked about, maybe then maybe then they turn back to, to Gurriel. But I do have my concerns as to whether he's an everyday player going forward. I think one of the interesting things that will be so much better about these winter meetings than last year's is the fact that you do have labor peace, at least. So you've got everybody knowing what's coming next year. But speaking of that, our general managers or the or organizational folks, how much do the rule changes that are coming next year play into the winter meetings. And for example, Anthony Rizzo, I think his stock might even have been a little bit higher if you think about it, because with the elimination of shifts, he figures to get some benefit in his batting average, if nothing else. Uh, and what is the cognizance going to be of everybody like, well, okay, the bases are a little bit uh, bigger. So do we go for some, you know, or are we going to look for a little speed to, to increase our running? Uh, do we need to make sure we get pitchers and maybe not for the Astros case? Cause I, it's hard to imagine they need to acquire anyone, but are people looking for, Hey, we got to make sure we have somebody who can release the ball within 15 seconds. These are some factors that I guess GMs are going to have to take into consideration here in a few weeks, aren't they? Yeah. I guess if the Astros had a GM, maybe he or she would be able to take it into consideration. But um, uh, yeah, I think, you know, Kyle Tucker is going to be very much helped by the elimination of the shift. He and Anthony Rizzo were among the most shifted players in baseball. And I can count there were so many hits that Kyle Tucker got taken away from him, just grounding right into the shift. Alvarez to a lesser extent, Alvarez got shifted a good bit, but he showed so much more ability to go up the middle and the other way. You know, Tucker's not necessarily a pole hitter, but he just he got victimized by the shift and the stats show it more than more than Alvarez did. So um, as far as the Astros go with that whole situation, you know, I, I just think, honestly, what they are, what they need to prioritize their concern about is, you know, this is very likely going to be a run prevention team again next year. Um, one that that unless one of the unless one of these guys in the lower half of the lineup or unless they go out and get a couple of big bats. Um, this is shaping up to be another kind of run prevention type team. So you want your first baseman to be a, a good to elite defender. Yuli Gurriel won the gold glove in 2021. The defensive metrics showed he sagged a little bit last year, but if you watched it, I mean, he saved, 
he saved at least five errors a week just with his ability to scoop balls at first base, with his ability to to just know exactly the target they were giving. So that's a big factor here that they have to worry about. And, you know, look, if you go into next year with Framber Valdez as your ace and Lance McCullers as your two, those are two ground ball pitchers, and you have to prioritize defense behind them. So does the defense at first base become a bigger a bigger emphasis because you know the two best pit or the coming into the season, the two best pitchers on your staff get a ton of ground balls and you don't want a first baseman that's going to be clanking throws and it's not going to be able to field his position. So I think maybe that uh, will enter into the Astros calculus more, more than, more than most. But, you know, I, I just think this team doesn't need a ton. Like they don't, like I don't, I, I think for the teams that have a lot of, big consequential free agent decisions to make or that are like want to get over the hump or that want to get to where the Astros are. They're going to make a lot of additions. I think the rule changes will, will be, will be something, but I don't think in the Astros case specifically, I don't think it'll be too, too big of a factor. Well, the winter meetings come up the week after the week after Thanksgiving, and I know you'll be there and we'll see if the, uh, the Astros do anything, but um, quite a run in 2022 as they uh, win the title. And they're certainly going to be uh, up there among the favorites next year, really, regardless of, of what happens to this roster from here out. But uh, Chandler, we thank you for all the insight uh, over the course of the year. I'm sure we'll be talking in the near future as the offseason progresses. And uh, we thank the listeners for tuning into our podcast uh, all during this season. And we'll certainly be back with more. And uh, I just remind everyone, as I always do, that you can follow Chandler on uh, Twitter at Chandler underscore Rome. And obviously read him on HoustonChronicle.com and in the pages of the Houston Chronicle. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. And we'll be talking to you soon. 